All right, stand Love by. We're going to Okay. Now my intro doesn't want to work. Hello, everybody. I'm trying to get my intro to play. All right. Well, while it decides whether or not it wants to play, let's try this again. Nope. Okay. So welcome to Talking Smooth Jazz. My name is Terry, a.k.a. The Jazz Queen. It is Sunday, September 16th, 2018. If you would like to join us in the chat room, please go to TalkingSmoothJazz.com. Scroll down to Ken Navarro's picture. Click on that. That will bring you into the chat room. The phone number is 646-716-5485. 646-716-5485. My guest today is guitarist Ken Navarro. Again, Ken Navarro who I've interviewed over the years. If it's smooth jazz, then the jazz queen is talking about it on Talking Smooth Jazz, your place for all things smooth. With the smoothest show on the internet radio, your host, the jazz queen. Gotta love technology, right? Gotta just love it. (laughs) I love it. I do. (laughs) It worked. Well, that was... (laughs) <laughs> it worked finally. <laughs> so I was, uh, as I was saying, uh, my guest today is guitarist Ken Navarro, who I've interviewed over the years, and I finally got a chance to meet him in February when he performed here at UNLV. And we talked a little bit about this new project, Music for Guitar and Orchestra, and I am finally happy to welcome him back to tell us more. Ken Navarro, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Terry. It's great to do this with you again. I know I was thinking back. Uh, We've talked at least four times, I think, about past releases. But uh, when you mentioned, you know, when we met in Las Vegas in February uh, and you said, I really, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do the show, but I really want to do this one with this new record. And I was like, I can't think of anybody I would rather talk about this new album with than, than with Terry Scott. So I'm glad that this worked out. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And listeners, if you are a fan of Ken's and you've been following him on Facebook, you've seen his behind-the-scenes videos for the making of this unprecedented project for him. And yes, Ken, I have been following you, and what an undertaking this has been for you. Yeah, it it started I, I, a little hard for me to remember exactly when when the 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 seed for this was planted in my head. I think it was approximately, oh, I I I, I want to say it was around October or November of 2016, and I started to, I I don't know what why, but I started to write some things that involved uh, a full orchestra, and then I started to try to incorporate the guitar into it, and I started by writing completely new music, you know, that I'd never recorded in any form before. And uh, little by little, it started to become obvious that there were, was music of mine that was, was, I'd always wanted to hear how it would sound if it was played with guitar and symphony orchestra. And so I started trying to pick out the right songs. I think that was probably Mm. the beginning of 2017. And I started by just using what we call virtual instruments. These are, you know, in the high-tech digital age, there are, you know, virtual instruments now that do a pretty believable job of, 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 of creating the sound of strings or brass or trumpets or French horns and so on. And so I started doing it that way. And then somewhere around the end of, of or the I guess the middle of 2017, I realized that there really was no other way to do this properly than to record a real symphony orchestra. Um, Mm. And that's when the real fun (laughs) began or the real work began, because it's just, as you can imagine, a very, you know, a very complex project with a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved and, and a lot of, you know, I had to put together the right team because there was just so much to do uh, and so many areas um, that I had never uh, experienced before. 
that I felt like I needed to hire people who could who were the real experts at finding the best orchestra players and the best conductor um, and the best studio because I've recorded almost every one of my albums in my own studio but my studio was nowhere near big enough to contain a, you know, a 40 piece orchestra. Uh, and so I had to find a studio that could. So it was just, <laughs> you know, it, 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 um, it little by little, it showed itself to me that the way that it needed to be done. And, um, you know, and needless to say, besides the, the very uh, high amount of work that went into writing all the orchestrations and the recording and then the mixing of it all, it was an expensive project too. It was cost yeah. more money than any album I'd ever done before by far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so that was, a, you know, that was not a small part of having to, uh, you know, get used to that idea, I guess is one way to put it and figure out how I was going to pay for it. I'm not one of those people who does GoFundMes and things like that. I've always felt mm-hmm. like I'm the artist. It's my responsibility to, to put it, together and to create something that people want and then it's their responsibility to to purchase it if they if they want it <laughs> and that's yeah, how i've yeah. always done it so you know but uh yeah you know it, it, it's it's um it's been a long journey it's nice to just to be able to now you know appreciate people hearing it and it's been fantastic to have people uh get it so to speak you know they 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 feel what I've done here as well as appreciate the the effort that went into it. You know. Now, okay, so there are eight songs on the release: mm-hmm. music for guitar and orchestra that you scored mm-hmm. and arranged for orchestra. Mm-hmm. Now, did right. you write for all of the um, players to orchestra the um, players? Did you write and score each piece for them to play? Exactly. Yeah, they the wow. way it works with with what we're and I I don't love using these words classical and jazz and everything because what I've done here is put classical and jazz together, in a way I've never heard anybody do it before. So that you can't really say it's one or the other. You know, it's definitely smooth yeah. jazz, but it's you know um, it's it's a whole nother level of it. I think. But yeah, the way that classical musicians treat. Music is the opposite of how most jazz musicians treat music. When I work with, you know, past projects of mine with the musicians, you know, I, they, they don't have to be told every single thing to play. They don't have to be told the, the kinds of details that, um, that make a great music, musical performance. But with classical musicians, they play only what's on the page. They that and that means not only do the notes have to be spelled out very specifically, but every volume change, every flow of the tempo that might push a little forward or pull back a little bit, all of that stuff has to be notated for every single player. And so I had to, you know, come up with all of those parts and then put them all down on paper. Uh in a form that was going to be very efficient when we got into a recording studio and time was money so um yeah it was a very different experience that way uh having spent the better part of 40 years working with musicians who you give them an idea of what you want and they know what to do with it and in this case having to give people every single detail we even notated the the way all the strings were supposed to bow in other words they can move the bow oh, in a wow. down bow or an up bow yeah, that has to be notated, too, because when you have string players, like in our case, we had the equivalent of of um, 30 string players. If they all have to be um, in each section, like the first violins, if one of them's down bowing for six notes and then up bowing for the seventh note, they all have to bow that way so that they sound like one big violin. And um, so... What what that means is that if we don't mark the if I don't decide on the bowing, or with the help of the what's called the concert master, who's the, the the lead string player, if I don't put the bowing into the into the music, then it's going to slow down the whole recording session mm-hmm. while they figure out the bowing, and that's very mm. expensive um, to to sit there with 
40 plus musicians waiting for the Boeing to be decided on. So that was all, that was all notated beforehand too. So, so it's, wow. uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's more, believe me, it's more detail than I'd ever done in the past. In fact, I'll share kind of a, not, not much of a secret for musicians who've worked with me, but maybe a secret for people who haven't. I'm one of those guys that was known for not giving people very detailed charts. <laughs> they would say mm. to me, that's it? That's all you're giving me? I'd say, well, I'd, I would make these, these very elaborate demos in my previous albums so that the players knew what it was that I was looking for. But mm-hmm. they, I was known for being less, uh, writing down less than, than most people. So here I was with this project, writing down every single thing, you know, that, that, that the players would need to have in order in order to play. Now, is the chart different for the conductor? Well, the the conductor has what we call a score. So the score contains everybody's parts. And um, in the case of our conductor, whose name was Jonathan Merrill, an old musical associate of mine from Los Angeles that I've known for, wow, I guess about 35 years. Um, his score was even bigger than the one that I had in the control room, you know, when we were recording, um, because he needed to be able to see everything at a glance. Uh, the, whereas the players just have their part. So, um, mm. so the, con- the conductor has the score, which has every single part on it. And, uh, and in, you know, in his case, you know, a huge, very his podium was had to be made a little larger just so it would hold the the music score and then but the players you know just have the part that they have to play so yeah in that way it is different for sure okay now ken you've been in the music business for a while you've been playing guitar for a while um mm-hmm. this is your first time writing music for an orchestra did you have to do any kind of of um I don't know, training or, or mm-hmm. research or anything like that, just to, yeah. you know, for, yeah. for stuff that's a that great you did know. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had started, you know, I wrote a couple string quart, short string quartet pieces. The first one was on an album called Ruby Lane of mine. Um, and I, I, so I'd been, I'd been kind of delving into this, you know, for, for four or five years and then on my last album called Bonfire in 2016, I had a short little piece, of, which was just a woodwind quintet. So I, mm-hmm. I, you know, in little pieces of the orchestra, I had been, I had been teaching myself how to do this. Uh, again, the virtual instruments were extremely helpful because the technology, like so much technology in our lives now, is advanced to the point where you can get a pretty good idea if you can make the virtual instruments do it and sound the way you want, the real people are typically only going to sound better. Um, yeah. So, but yet undertaking this where it was for the whole orchestra. Um, yeah. I mean, I just spent, I, I, I mean, that's why it took two years to do this. So basically I spent the first year and a half um, teaching myself how to do it by doing it. In other words, I didn't, mm. I didn't go back to school or, or get any books or anything like that. I just I just um, wrote and wrote and wrote. I mean, like Smooth Sensation, which is the opening piece on the album, I must have rewritten that eight times, you know. So <laughs> uh, there's what ends up on the album in what we recorded, it was the, the best of all of those eight times. But I just kept working at it and working at it until – until I, I, I felt like I, I had what was uh, the very best I could do at this point anyway, put it that way. Uh, okay. you know, so, uh, but, yeah, no, that's a great question. I, like everything else that I've done in my musical career, I, I basically taught myself. I mean, I took guitar lessons at various times for very short periods when I was younger, but for the most part I taught myself to play the guitar. You know, I taught myself how to use the recording equipment, and I taught myself how to how these orchestral instruments work, you know. And again, I was lucky that I had uh, a small team, but a very good team, who had some experience at this that I didn't have, who were able to tell me things like, 
Well, when you write up that high for the bassoon, they can play it. But unlike a trumpet, when you write high, who gets louder and more, you know, um, energetic sounding, when a bassoon gets up high, they actually get softer and more tentative sounding. You know, in other words, the opposite of what you typically think when you ask a player to play in the upper part of their register. And those were the kinds of things I didn't know. So, for example, if you had a solo line that you wanted the bassoon to jump out on top of the whole orchestra and you had them playing up high, they'd never be able to do it because they can't play loud enough up there. Where mm. So you'd want to write it maybe down an octave where they can really have power. And you see, that's where the virtual instruments fall short because the virtual instruments will do whatever you... They're not people, <laughs> so they don't complain. Yeah. So when, when you tell them to play high, they go ahead and play high, and if they're not loud enough, you just turn up the volume. Well, you know, a real, a real person can't do that. They can only do what their, their instrument can do. Likewise, if you write a pie for a trombone, they can do it for you, but there's no way they're going to play it beautifully and, 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 and pretty. You're going to get loud and boisterous when you write a pie for them. So if you've got this wonderful trombone line, like in Smooth Sensation, that you want to have floating above the orchestra and it's a high line on the trombone, well, they're not going to really be able to make that sound the way you want it to sound. It's going to sound like they're blaring it out rather than, than being sweet, you know, and soulful. Yeah. So those are the yeah. kinds of things that was real useful to have some people around me who were, a, including some of the musicians um, who, who were able to say in the earlier stages, I can play that, but I don't think you're going to get what you want when I do it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's part, so part of, you know, when you teach yourself, it's real useful to have people around you who are able to point you in the right direction. They can't write it for you, but they can certainly help you to see um, how you can make it better. And I was fortunate to have a couple people like that around me. So let's talk a little bit about recording day. Now this mm -hmm. is a forty-piece orchestra. Um, mm -hmm. Did you? Did everybody record? Were, were they all together in one day? Did you record certain instruments on different, you know, different times, different days? How did that work? Great question. Um, yeah, no, we recorded the orchestra all in. We we did it over the period of three days. The entire orchestra, all the strings, the, all the French horns, all the trombones trumpets, all the woodwinds, which was flute, oboe, clarinet, and bassoon, all of those people were in one big room, recorded all at the same time. Now, in their headphones, every, in, every uh, player had headphones. In their headphones, they heard a click track because we needed everything to line up with the parts that we were, we were going to record later because we had a series of, of star guest musicians who were all going to perform later. Uh, so the orchestra heard this click track, and then they also heard my demo guitar parts in their headphones. They heard the demo drums, if there were drums, the demo saxophone, which was later replaced by Eric Marienthal. But the orchestra itself, those 40 people that we're talking about, they were all recorded live uh, for everything. We never overdubbed any of that, because part of what mm -hmm. we wanted to get was that the sound of what it sounds like when an, a full orchestra is playing at the same time mm -hmm. and the way they sound when they're interacting with each other, which is, um, you know, really quite an awesome sound. Um, we wouldn't have gotten that if we had overdubbed people and recorded, um, you know, the strings at one time and then the brass after that, you know what I mean? It would, we wouldn't right. have gotten that same thing. Now that made it quite a challenge when it came time to mix the record. Because when you record that way, you have a microphone for each instrument, and you have what we call overhead microphones that are capturing the sound of the, everybody in the room, and you blend all those mics together. But what that means is that um, everybody is leaking into everybody else's microphones. It's part of what makes it sound so real and so live and so big and so dramatic. But it also means that if there was a bad um, flute note, in bar 190, uh, that flute note is, could very likely be leaking into other instruments' microphones whose performances were fine. 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. that was a whole other, you know, in the modern day of recording, that's not a problem you usually have. Everybody's on their own channel, and if there's a problem, you can just fix that one problem. So it was it was a little more complicated to mix um, an album like this because of the fact that everybody was recorded live in one room. Um, and even though some isolation was there, everything is every everything's getting into everything and and we we recorded it might be interesting to know that we recorded everything so i spent the first 3 weeks when i got home from the from the sessions just going through all the takes and deciding which was the best take for each song and then if there were problems in any areas like i just described maybe there was a, a funny trumpet note you know finding a take where that was okay and then figuring out how I could put takes together and um, you know, so that in the end I got exactly the performances that were the very best from the three days of sessions. It was, you know, in every way, wow. it was a pretty massive job, <laughs> but you know, thought, I knew that going in. That just went I'm through sorry. my head. If funny thoughts yeah. just mm-hmm. went through my head. Did your family think that you had gone missing because I'm sure they had not <laughs> seen you. <laughs> well, you know, for a while. You, you are full of good. You are full of insightful questions today. Terry. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Let me just put it this way: they've gotten used to it over the years. Um, when I'm in the process of the recording and then the mixing of a record, it it's um, it becomes more. It doesn't become less intense. It seems to become more intense as the project nears completion. So, in this case. Um, I was fortunate in, in, in that my wife really understood what this project meant and, and, and that it was momentous, you know, and, and so she was 100% behind it, which she's been, I've been so lucky that way. She's been that way f- yeah. forever. But, um, you know, in this case, <laughs> it was that much more, you know, she was she was going in on the risk with me too, you know, because when you do something you've never done before, and it happens to be the most expensive effort of that type that you've ever done. There is a sense of risk that, you know, yeah. what, what if this doesn't work? You know, what if something goes wrong? And, you know, along those lines, I went to great pains as did my team to be super prepared. We were over prepared. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the musicians were mildly amazed at, at they'd never, I don't think some of them had ever participated in such an organized uh, recording sessions. Uh, but we had to be because for what it was costing and the effort that went into it, we, we literally couldn't afford for anything to go wrong. So, um, but you know, that had, to, I had to make my family a little nervous. I'm sure it did, <laughs> you know, I know it made me nervous, so it had to make them that way too. Wow. I am talking to guitarist Ken Navarro about his 24th release, Music for Guitar and Orchestra. This record is scheduled for release on September 21st. Um, let's talk a little bit about the artists outside of the um, orchestra Great. that's on yeah. the release, and I will get into some music. Great. Well, yeah, I, I wanted, for such a special project, I wanted to have my dream team of musicians as close as I could get to them anyway um, for this album. And so I invited uh, two of the songs, two of the centerpiece pieces of the album. One is called the grace of summer light and the other is called the stars, the snow, the fire. I knew that the drum, there was going to be a a drummer on each one, a jazz drummer and, and, and that the drums were going to be very important parts uh, and had to be, work with the orchestra in a, um, a very cohesive way. And so I, there were two drummers that my whole life, I mean, there's a number of drummers that I just love, but of my top five drummers, two of my top five I was able to get for this record. The first one was uh, a drummer named Dave Weckl, who, in my opinion, is the Buddy Rich of our generation. He, he's, he's not only that good, but he's that well thought of he's been with he's probably best known for playing with chick korea for almost 35 years now i think um but he's he's played with many many different people uh and dave played on the grace of summer light and then chad wackerman who is another one of my top five drummers and i think top five drummers in the world by the way 
Um, he played on the stars to snow the fire. Chad has had a lot of experience playing all kinds of music. He's very well known for playing with the uh, fusion guitarist, Alan Holdsworth, but he's played with Barbara Streisand. He's played with James Taylor. And most notably, he did a lot of orchestra work for Frank Zappa, which is, as musicians know, Frank Zappa wrote some of the most difficult music for orchestras that ever been written. And the drum chair was one of the most difficult, probably, uh, that, that you can imagine. Uh, this hor- there were always horror stories when I lived in L.A. about drummers struggling, to, the great drummers struggling to play his music. And Chad, Chad did a, a number of orchestra recordings with Frank Zappa, and he also played with an orchestra with James Taylor. So he was on both ends of the spectrum as far as working with orchestras. Uh, so he was... Um, he was really, uh, you know, uh, another great, great uh, player for me to have. Then my my favorite acoustic bass player in the world is John Patitucci, um, who's played with every major contemporary jazz um, musician out there. I mean, Mo- Chick Corea for many, many years, Wayne Shorter. Um, the, the list would be like a who's who of jazz who, who John has played with. And so he played on both the grace of summer light and the stars, the snow, the fire. I knew John back when I lived in LA, when I was in my uh, early thirties and we got to be uh, know each other a little bit. And we've, you know, we stayed in touch throughout the years. Then I had uh, Eric Marienthal, who is my favorite saxophonist in the world. Uh, I had him guest on Wichita lineman and then also on a song called lucky. And uh, Eric, I have a long, long relationship with he and I've done tours together We've gone to Japan together and, and played in Osaka. And he's just a wonderful, wonderful saxophonist. And then finally, uh, there were six songs on the album that I wrote extensive parts for the harp. And the harp is a tricky thing because, you know, it's as a classical instrument, most of those players, you know, can read whatever you put in front of them, but they're not jazz musicians. But there was mm-hmm. a woman I knew in L.A. whose name was whose name is Lori Andrews, and she's a true jazz harpist. So she can read anything you put in front of her because all of her parts were all written out. But she's, she has great what we call feel. You know, she knows how to groove. Uh, if you go on YouTube and type in her name, Lori Andrews, you'll, you'll see what I mean. She's, she, there aren't too many she's, – she's not only one of the greatest harpists in the world, she's one of the few true jazz harpists. And Lori was somebody that early on I was sending harp parts to for help. You know, am I writing this right? Because it's a tricky instrument to notate for. And she was extremely sure. helpful. And, um, and so those are the five, five guests, Dave Weckl, Chad Wackerman on drums, John Patitucci on bass, Eric Marienthal on sax, and, and Lori Andrews on harp. Wow. All right. Well, let's take a listen. I'm going to start with Smooth Sensation. Tell me about this one. Oh, great. Well, this is what I started the album with because I just felt like it was one of my signature songs. Um, And, you know, writing this, it was a challenge because it was like I got to get across all of the elements that made this a big hit song for me 20 years ago. But Mm -hmm. I can't do it, you know, the usual way with a smooth jazz rhythm section and keyboards and all of that so how do i do this with 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 an orchestra which may be why i rewrote it so many times until i felt that i really had it but i I think i captured the original feeling of the song but it kind of made it more 3d with with the use of the orchestra all right from ken navarro's music for guitar and orchestra this is smooth sensation Thank you. 
Sensation. That is from guitarist Ken Navarro's brand new release, Music for Guitar and Orchestra. Um, you know, Ken, I was thinking back on your um, solo guitar CD. Uh, I believe that was the test of time. Right. That's right. And I'm th- I was thinking, wow, where that on that CD it was just you, no other instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Contrast that <laughs> to today. I know, isn't that funny? Full orchestra. I know, I know. I'm laughing just because, you know, what do you do after you've just done an album all by yourself? Well, you record one with 50 other people. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Exactly. I'm I'm all over the map. Well, I'm nothing if not somebody who tries to challenge myself to keep moving forward. Um, And I say this with with in complete humility, because I I believe me, I'm somebody who's always trying to get better at this. I feel like I'm one of those very lucky musicians who's been given a lifetime to follow my heart with what I believe music can do for me and what it can do for other people. And I honestly feel like it's my job, having been given that gift to continue to keep trying to get better and keep trying to expand what I do. Um, because otherwise I'd, I'd feel like I was almost, you know, um, thumbing my nose at this gift. Uh, Cause I know how many people don't get it. And so I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky and I work very hard at what I do, but I still know that, that I'm lucky. And uh, yeah. you know, so that's, that's why, you know, the solo guitar album, was a real challenge too, <laughs> because it's hard to yeah. play all the parts all by yourself. On the other hand, it doesn't cost me anything <laughs> except right. for studio time. <laughs> Whereas th- this was a whole other thing. Um, so, yeah. uh, but you know, there is, you know, I'll tell you, Terry, there's something too about interacting with all these people. Um, in a way, it's a little scary because your fate is tied to how well they all perform and how well everybody else mm-hmm. does their job from from the the, the one violinist to this to the to the assistant to the studio engineer to the conductor to to um, you know everything everybody that contributes but I have to say that it also was a wonderful boost to my belief in in how good people are and how hard they'll work towards towards a, a great result when when it's presented to them properly because these musicians, yeah. and you have to understand, this was a hand-picked orchestra. These were not only, every single player was not only a virtuoso at their instrument, but they were the right player for this music in that they had a feeling for other kinds of music than just playing in a, in a symphony orchestra. Um, mm. And they, they are used to coming into a session like this, sight-reading the music, Maybe they do one rehearsal and then they record it and then they move on to the next piece. And what we did with these people, we gave them the music a month ahead of time with the bowings, like I was saying, for the string players. We gave them music minus one things for them to play along to the music. We did things that they're not used to and they normally would just go, well, I'm not getting paid for that. I I get paid when I show up at the recording studio. And every one of these musicians did their homework and when they came into the studio, they were ready to go. Um, yeah. And it was the same with my conductor and my um, Jonathan Merrill and my associate producer, Dan LaMaestra. Everybody was so on top of this. E- even the little details, like when you have that many people coming to a recording session, where do they all park? What, where do they all Oh, my the gosh. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Who thinks of that stuff, right? Well, that's what my associate producer was thinking about. And he, he even sent every player a PDF booklet of where all the parking was around and near wow. the studio. <laughs> and then when one of the cellists had um, a, a problem and was there like 15 minutes before downbeat on the first day, Dan grabbed her keys, said, go get in there and get ready to play. Dan went and parked her car for her. So that's the kind oh. of team that I had with me. And, and uh, so – I say all that not only to give them credit for their contributions, but also just to say that, you know, in contrast to the solo guitar album, because your question is what got me thinking about this, um, you know, it it gave me a great trust in other people, you know, Mm -hmm. that, um, that, that, because I had to, I had to put faith into approximately 50 other people uh, for this to happen. 
and they all came through with flying colors. So I'm, I'm once again, wow. you know, very thankful for that, for that, you know. Yes, yes. All right, I'm going to play Fortunate Son next. Tell me about this song. Oh, great. Well, this is a song that I wrote for my dad back in um, 1993, and it was first recorded on an album of mine called The Labor of Love, which was my third CD, which came out in 1993, I, or maybe 92. I'm trying to remember now. And, it, and I, I played this song for my dad when he came to my shows many, many times. Um, I, I recorded it again um, as a solo guitar song. Uh, I believe that was on, mm, boy, I'm forgetting now. Too many records. Well, anyway, I did it as a, so it wasn't on the test of time, and maybe it was on Ruby Lane. I'm forgetting now. But um, anyway, um, the, he passed away in February of 2017, and I just it was a big loss for me as I'm sure any, any parent is to, to any son or daughter, but my dad mm-hmm. was, he lived to be 89 and he was, even though he had no idea what it was, I did. <laughs> he always really supported it and he always was very interested in it. Maybe even more so because, you know, he didn't, he didn't understand it really. I mean, he loved it, but he didn't know how it worked, you know, um, and how the whole business worked. But I just said, you know, I think this would be a beautiful song and a great tribute to him if I could if I could come up with an orchestration that was just for the strings and me. And um, so I, I purposely wrote this one just for the strings. And as it turned out, it was the very last thing that we recorded. And when we when they'd done a few rehearsals and a few takes, and we knew we were real close to getting the final take, my wife, who was with me in the studio that day, said, you know, we were sitting in the control room where the, you know, where the, where the mixing board was and where our scores were, and, and we could hear exactly what was coming through the speakers. My wife said, you should really go out there and just sit out there and listen to what this sounds like. It sounds amazing. So I went out mm-hmm. there for the final take, and it was so unbelievable. I, I just had tears coming down my face, and it wasn't because I was thinking – how great I'd done. It was, I just couldn't believe how beautiful the sound of all those bows and wood and in the room right with them. And I was really glad I did because one, it was a, you know, just a very meaningful experience. But then when I went to mix it for for what we're going to listen to now, I knew what it sounded like when you were sitting right in the middle of that. And so I made sure that this final, you know, that what you heard on, we'll hear on the album sounded just like what it sounded like to me when I was sitting in the room with them. Yeah. All right. This is Fortunate Son.
So beautiful. That is Fortunate uh, Son. Ah, oh, that's absolutely beautiful. That's from Kindergarten. Thanks, Music. Terry. Oh, you're welcome. As I, Music as I wrote in the notes, I, I just wish my dad could have heard that one time that way. But yeah. I, play, I got to play it for him many, many times, so I'm grateful for that. Um, ah. You know, it's it's uh, one of those things that, you, you, you know, I, I uh, that's the only the only pang I get when I hear that is I know how much yeah. I loved hearing that. Uh, and uh, he would have had a million questions, you know, about it. Like, <laughs> well, you'll, and I don't know if they would have been as good as yours, but they, <laughs> they would, you know, he was he was a math. He was a mathematician. So ah. as, as people have said, music and math have certain things in in common. And I think he would have wondered how all those parts went together. How did you figure out how they'd all go together like that? You know, and it would have been fun to explain to him as good as I could have anyway, how, you know, for, to make right. him understand, but, uh, but at least, but at least he heard it many times. So I'm glad you liked it too. I, I think it was a good way. To, that's how I ended the album and it felt like the right way to, to close it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, Ken, how many picks Thanks. did you go through? <laughs> I think it was 12. Um, I mm. saved them all, and in fact, I think is that the picture that's still up on my Facebook page? I can't remember. I'm looking. Um, no, it's I on your it website. Down. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's on the right. Website. Yeah. 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 Um, I saved them all. They're all in a little envelope. Uh, I, I felt like I was taking myself maybe a little too seriously, but I thought, you know, this project, it, it's kind of a momentous thing for me. So I'm gonna kind of, you know keep a record of everything I did with this one. And uh, normally I, if you ask me how many picks I used on, you know, some other record, I'd go, I don't know <laughs> or, or where they were. I'd go, they're in the trash somewhere, you know, but these are all in an envelope somewhere. <laughs> now I have a, I guess it's a non-related related question. When mm -hmm. you were here in February performing, I noticed that after each performance, you kind of rubbed your hands together and stretched out your <laughs> fingers. And it made me yeah. wonder, do you do physical therapy on your hands? I don't, but I'm, I'm getting to the point where if I don't play every day, um, I, I lose something. You know what I mean? I have to actually, I have to actually play every day. It's not, as simple as practicing, it's like that's kind of my physical therapy with my hands. Um, okay. I, 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 I remember that performance, and I remember there was one piece, and I'm having trouble remembering which one it was now. We're very near the end of it. I must have done something with my left hand that, that caused it to tighten up. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I remember getting to the end of the piece and kind of, you know, inside my own head going, Phew, you know, I made it, you know, because uh, yeah. I realized that I was pushing a little too hard. Uh, probably it was like a, a, a one of these pieces that hit a big climax at the end. And, and I was probably way into it and maybe more into it than I should have been. <laughs> but uh, if that's possible. And uh, but, yeah, that's, that's I don't I, I have actually been thinking a little bit about seeing just to have somebody look at my hands uh, I turned 65 this year. I don't feel like it, but mm -hmm. I am, you know, and um, and I sort of wondered if it might be wise, considering that's what I do to make a living, if, you know, to have somebody kind of start to have a specialist, you know, uh, be able to look and tell me what's, ha you know, are there any, any anything I should do, anything I'm not doing? Uh, I don't know. We take we take such good care of other parts of our bodies as hopefully yeah. we get older. But sometimes I think we neglect the thing that we, that we, the stuff we take for granted. And I guess I take my hands for granted. Uh, but, uh, I probably, I probably shouldn't be so much, but yeah, I, gee, I, I hope I didn't do that too much at that show. I wasn't aware I was doing that, but it, it might've been because of that moment I was just describing, you know, when I felt something tighten a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it, you didn't. It's just I happened to see that, and it just made me wonder, because not only you as a musician playing the guitar, but, mm -hmm. you know, other musicians mm -hmm. with the saxophone and mm -hmm. that, I'm sure they have some type of physical um, challenge yeah. with each instrument. And so it just made me and wonder would, if, yeah. you, if you see therapists, if you do a, go to massage or have your hands massaged or something like that. I think my answer to that is, I should, <laughs> you yeah. know, I don't, but I should. And, you know, saxophonists and, you know, horn players, 
they're they're they have that whole issue not only with their hands but with breathing, you know. And yeah. I remember yeah. playing a couple shows in uh, in the Denver area up in the ski. There there were a couple big jazz festivals that happened up in uh, I think Breckenridge was where one of them was. It's like a ski resort, and the there was a station there that put on a big event, and I I did it. And Richard Elliott was on it, and, and I remember Richard Elliott. Remember this is like twelve thousand feet up in the air. Richard Al- Elliott mm-hmm. actually had, and maybe Kirk Whalen was there too, and he had the same thing. They actually had tanks of air on the side of the stage so that when mm. they felt that lightheadedness happening, they could go over there <laughs> and get some oxygen. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I would imagine that's something that affects, you know, saxophonists as they, as they uh, get a little older or they get into situations that are more strenuous than, than yeah. normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ken, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you again. Uh, What an enlightening interview this has been. I mean, you have just you've gone into detail about the making of this new release, and um, such a groundbreaking uh, time for you, a groundbreaking release for you. Congratulations um, on it all. Thanks, Terry, and thanks. Yeah, and thank you for doing this. I mean. As I said before, I can't imagine anybody I'd rather do this kind of an interview with than you, somebody who not only really appreciates the music and what goes into it, but somebody who knows the right questions to ask. And, and you, you know, that's why I'm able to give you the answers I did, because you led me right where I needed to go. So th- thank oh, you well, for thank doing you. this and doing, doing a great job. Oh, thank you. So let everyone know where they can find you on social media and your music. Sure. I'm all over the place. I, I love social media. I, I have my regular friends page at Facebook, which I notice I have room for one more friend right now. Somebody wants to friend me real quick. Uh-oh. And and, <laughs> and then I, I have a musician page. And, um, you know, then I've, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I, I stay pretty active, especially with this new record. Um, I have a podcast. Tomorrow I will release the very first of four hours of podcast episodes uh, about the making of the album. Uh, And, uh, you know, there is a series of videos that are going to come out. Eventually a documentary will come out. And then, of course, there's my website. Um, And my website not only has a lot of the stuff that you see on social media, but I have all of the music is uh, available at my website, not just the CDs and downloads, but all the scores and all the parts for all eight songs on music for guitar and orchestra, those are all available on my website and exclusively. They're not available anywhere else. And I've been selling a lot of the CD at the website. I've been actually, even though it doesn't come out till Friday, we've sold hundreds of CDs that I've personally signed and uh, licked the stamps and the whole thing, um, which we've sent out to, to many people who found out about it on social media which I love. I love having, you know, what I call Paul Revere's, you know, people who get it early and then tell everybody about it. It's great. Yeah. Uh, those those yeah. are people who re- are also part of my team. Um, and uh, so, and then, you know, Friday it will come out. Uh, it will start shipping from Amazon and all the retail outlets. It'll be in some stores. There aren't too many stores anymore, but, you know, brick and mortar. And then of course, iTunes and Spotify, it'll all be, coming from them on um, on Friday uh, the 21st. But uh, in the meantime, if you want a signed copy or you want to get a, get a download now, it's available right now at my website, uh, you know, a week before the release date. So I'll continue to be, you know, releasing free podcasts and free videos and using social media. I hope I don't annoy anybody. I tend to use social media as a, as a great way to reach um, what I consider to be the most important fans of this music. Uh, so I, you know, I try not to overdo it, but it, I, I find it a very effective way to reach the, the kinds of people who really will get this, you know? Uh, and it's why I wanted to do your podcast because I know you have an audience that not, whether or not they're listening right this instant or not, they, they'll come and check out your podcast and they'll be able yeah. to, you know, find out stuff. If they have the record, they'll be able to hear things that we talked about, and it'll make the listening experience that much better. And if they don't, hopefully they'll go, I need to hear this for myself, you know, and they'll they'll pick up a copy one way or the other. So, but yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not hard to find. I'm I'm pretty out there and pretty 
pretty open to, to people interacting with me, you know, via social media too. Okay, well, cool. You're, you're home now. Your family has you back home. Um, I'm back the next home. project. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, that's right. Are you performing anywhere next? No, I'm I'm not. I I I've, I that performance in Las Vegas is the only show I've done this year. I get calls okay. all the time. I, I don't accept them very often anymore. Uh, the Vegas one was a unique experience that I really wanted to do. Uh, what a great university you guys have there. What a wonderful music program. It was great to not only do the concert, but to give a workshop for the guitar majors at UNLV. Okay. Really great. And you have a wonderful station there, too. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, we are, we are part of my team is looking into the possibility of performing this album with orchestras throughout the country and even in other parts of the world. And if I do any more performing, it'll probably be along those lines. Uh, and so we're we're working on that. We're, we're this kind of, there's not much music like this for, for orchestras and they're quite interested in expanding their reach. They, and they better be, you know, because they they need to think about the next generation coming up and um, performing music that's not just the classics, you know. And so there's exactly. a fair amount of interest in this. So so we're you know we're, we're hoping that that'll happen. But I, these days I prefer to spend my time at home and to work on composing and recording and and um, that that's my focus. All right. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you again, Mr. Navarro. Uh, I appreciate oh, it. Thank you so much. Miss Scott. We're on, we're on <laughs> Miss Scott. Now I have to call you Miss Scott. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thank you. I'm kidding. Thank you, Terry. It was my pleasure. And thank you for doing this and taking the time to do it. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Guitarist Ken Navarro, his new CD is called Music for Guitar and Orchestra. It's scheduled for release on Friday, September 21st. Definitely pick this one up. My name is Terry, a.k.a. The Jazz Queen. You've been listening to Talking Smooth Jazz, and I look forward to talking smooth jazz with you again next time. Until then, keep it smooth. Ken, you have a great day. Thanks. You too, Terry. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Talking Smooth Jazz. Follow the Jazz Queen on Twitter at Jazz underscore Queen, on Facebook and Instagram at Talking Smooth Jazz, and visit the website, TalkingSmoothJazz.com.